All right. Welcome to PR Tech Wednesdays, the weekly webinar where thought leaders discuss the latest in marketing and PR tech. My name is Eric Schwartzman. Uh, welcome. We're happy you're here. We do this every Wednesday from 12 to 1. It's free, and you can subscribe at prtechwednesdays.com. Uh, we also live stream the overflow on YouTube, Facebook Live, and Periscope. Uh, we have room for 100 people in the live video chat. Um, so if it fills up, you can always go there and watch the overflow. And then if you subscribe, uh, you get a link to the replay as well. Um, our guest today is Ryan Pa. He is COO of the community company and co-author of Super Connector. Ryan, welcome to PR Tech Wednesdays. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. You know, it's interesting. Um, I remember reading that book, uh, uh, The Tipping Point, by Malcolm Gladwell, you know, years ago. And he's, in it, he had this law of the few. And what he said is basically the success of any social epidemic is heavily dependent on the involvement of people with a particular rare set of social gifts. And there were three types of people he talked about. He said the salesman, the persuader, the maven, the information specialist, and the connector. And these are the people uh, in a community who are, are known uh, for the number of people that they, in their circle, and who have a good habit of making introductions. And he says um, he attributes the, su the social success of connectors to the fact that, uh, that they have the ability to span many different worlds and um, that that's something intrinsic to their personality, some combination of curiosity, self-confidence, sociability, and energy. So, you know, you wrote this book, Super Connectors. Is it sort of, you know, taking Gladwell's theory of the connector to the next level? I think, I think it is. You know, I think right now we live in a time and a place where um, – who we surround ourselves matters more than it ever has been before. And I don't just mean COVID that's obviously taken that and put it on steroids, but really just sans COVID we are in a place right now where we are oversaturated with so much content, so much noise from mainstream social media that we don't know how to separate, you know, your average huckster from someone who's truly of value and worth to your uh, time that you should be investing in. And in our book, what we really want to do is help people get back to that point where making connections was easier, where it was, it was not so difficult to sift through the noise and find real value and real individuals that are, are worthy of your time and worthy of your investment. So through Super Connector, uh, my partner, Scott Gerber, and I, we took 10 plus years of community building that we had been doing uh, as well as interviews and case studies from a variety of people that we respected to put it in a book that we hope wouldn't provide the blueprint, but really the inspiration for everyone to redefine for themselves what being a connector and building community around yourself means. Uh, I want to just give a couple introductory announcements. The first is, you know, there are five types of web traffic, organic referral, social email, and direct. And of those five, Organic usually generates the best traffic because users trust Google and companies that rank high in web search get more clicks. Uh, yet most PR people don't know the basics of SEO. Um, so before things get busy again, now is a good time to invest in yourself and, and improve your skills. So in a second, I'm going to give you a free link um, to a, a video course on the basics of SEO for PR. 
so get ready to write it down. It's, um, it's a free course on the basics of SEO for PR. And if you sign up, you get lifetime access. And you can get it at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. And it'll be free for signups while we're live today. Um, our bookstagram of the week is... Ta-da! Um, and we could talk about them a little bit because they've got a great online community. Uh, but this is uh, Traffic Secrets, uh, the underground playbook for filling your websites and funnels with your dream customers by Russell Brunson. Um, he says the biggest problem most entrepreneurs have isn't creating an amazing product or service. It's getting future customers to discover it. Uh, he says every year, tens of thousands of businesses start out and fail uh, because entrepreneurs don't understand one essential skill, the art and science of getting traffic to find you. Um, you know, it's interesting. He says the book is free. Uh, you have to pay shipping and handling. And he calls that a self-liquidating funnel. The idea being that you would cover the costs of his printing and his shipping, and then you'd be into his email list and he could try to sell you other things because he has a product called Click Funnels, which is essentially uh, an easy to use point and click tool for setting up a funnel to market and sell things online. Um, his marketing tactics are very aggressive, but he nonetheless is a phenomena worth studying. Um, having grown his business from zero to 200 million with no venture backing uh, in under five years. So the book is Traffic Secrets. It's brand new. It's his latest book. He's got three others by Russell Brunson. You can get it online at trafficsecrets.com. Okay, so now we can get started. So the first question I want to ask you, this PR Tech Wednesdays is supposed to be a community for PR people. You know, that's, it's free. I want this to be a place where people can come, learn from people like you, network in the chat uh, field and talk to each other. It's open. We don't control it or, you know, police it or anything. People can share links, say whatever they like. We invite people to ask questions on screen if they want. They usually don't take us up on it, maybe because they're still in their jammies, who knows. But what advice do you have for me just getting started out of the gate? How could I make this a better community for PR people? Well, I'd love to see more of them on the chat. I think hopping on here and, and, and being a part of the conversation is, is a good place to start. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I always try to teach to other community builders that I work with is that you have to lead by example, right? So, so I think it really, it's going to have to start with you and, 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 and find ways through listening to your community and how you can help them. How can you be more generous with the people that you're surrounding yourself with to make you worthy of their attention, right? And I think it's all about making sure that you make the first move, so to speak, you know, and the more generosity and goodwill that you put out there to everyone on here that's listening and everyone in your forums and whatever platforms you use to, to connect with this group, the platform doesn't matter as much as the tone that you set. And if that's a tone of generosity and goodwill, what you're going to see come out of your community over time is a viral effect of generosity and goodwill because you've set the tone and you've kind of made the first move to establish what your community is all about. What's funny, you know, I see some old friends um, in the, uh, amongst the attendees. I see Sally Olmstead who I used to work with at Rogers and Cowan years ago. I see Tim McMahon. I see uh, Mary Beth Huffman. I see Joel Kamen. Uh, I see Eric Deutsch. I see Chip Griffin. 
I see Cheryl Proctor Rogers, the former president of the Public Relations Society of America. Um, so many people, thank you so much for coming. Uh, and please, you know, let's use the chat room to, to talk amongst ourselves. So first question before we get into the nitty gritty of communities, because I've been listening to a lot of your previous interviews with other folks in your world, and I have a ton of questions for you. But I just want to start, what is it about your childhood that led you to become an entrepreneur? I wasn't the entrepreneur type that has it in their DNA. You'll hear a lot of entrepreneurs say that. And um, I'm sure it's true, but that's not me. I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad, my mom were all part of corporate America. Uh, generation before that worked very hard, but weren't necessarily entrepreneurs in their own right. Uh, I discovered entrepreneurship and I discovered it through um, curiosity and, and exploration. I would say that I was a community builder first. I was always the guy who... Uh, found a lot of joy in connecting people. I was always the the one who threw the parties. I was always the one who was looking for opportunities to bring folks together. I was always the one trying to help solve other people's problems by connecting them with other individuals in my network or my circle of friends that I thought could support them. And, and that really drove me and continues to drive everything that I do in my life. Entrepreneurship was just something that I found through um, being connected and being surrounded by people who were more entrepreneurial by nature. So, so I would say, you know, if you are like me and, and curious about entrepreneurship, curious about going out there on your own, but don't feel like it's in your blood, that doesn't mean that you can't achieve. That means that you need to start surrounding yourselves with people who push you and challenge you and make you feel uncomfortable. And it's because of that aspect of my life and who I decided to surround myself with that I was able to, um, get into entrepreneurship and find opportunities to go down paths that allow me to really um, forge a professional career defined by myself versus defined by others. And you've got this, this company now that operates a number of communities, including the Forbes councils, which um, one of the privileges is, you know, the ability to publish if you meet certain guidelines as well as uh, the business uh, uh, Le business journals leadership trust. So just start for those of us that don't know, give us sort of an overview of the community company, yep. what it is, what it does. Sure. So the community company is an organization that builds uh, invitation only professional associations. Um, we do that by combining a bunch of different benefits and, and practices that we've built over the last 10 years. Uh, one of them is, is just connections and building authentic relationships between professionals in different industries, different geographies, and different walks of life. We do that through forums. We do that through uh, connections, both in person and online. Obviously, a lot more is happening online right now. And we do that also through something unique that is a little bit different than other associations, which is we focus heavily on thought leadership and personal branding and through leveraging our media partners, um, allowing our clients who have been heavily vetted in, to even join the organization, write and talk about their uh, skill sets and their expertise and their businesses uh, in a way that helps them build authority, build a sense of thought leadership, uh, build more trust with the stakeholders that matter the most to them, whether that be a board of directors or people that are considering joining you as a customer. Uh, that's a big part of what we do. And yes, one of our biggest um, areas of growth 
we work with brands in all walks of life, but our, one of our biggest areas of growth has been with media companies like Forbes, who we developed the Forbes councils with, who are looking for new opportunities to build community around their brands as the media industry continues to evolve. So um, tell me, you know, we're in this obviously lockdown environment now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what I'm hearing from VCs and clients that I talk to, you know, everyone's sort of looking at the bottom line, where are we going to cut costs? Mm -hmm. How is the pandemic sort of affecting your business now? Are you seeing people start to drop off or, and I know it's a tough question and I know you're you're obviously to make a market for your product, but I mean, whatever you can tell us about sort of how have you seen your business change since, you know, the pandemic? So we're, you know, we are just like every business, you know, everyone is taking a hit, um, but we are, are doing very well in terms of, you know, running all of our best case scenarios. We are at the top of our best case scenario in, in the COVID environment, meaning, you know, we are still seeing ample uh, interest in our communities, both for the connections benefits that many people are hungry for, especially for individuals who are now working in a more um, closed environment at home, experiencing that sense of isolation for the first time and looking for a sense of camaraderie. Um, that has been very powerful. And then also, I think, for the ability to continue to be visible and, and to share your thought leadership and to get your brand out there in meaningful ways that we um, can help members do. Because right now, it's hard to get any coverage because the, the, in, you know, the news cycles are just so saturated with stories about COVID and other things that are happening throughout our country and throughout the world that we just can't control. So I think we're offering for our members and the uh, agencies that represent them, you know, we, we do look at a lot of our data and most members do have an agency they work with alongside them. Um, can, they can leverage what we're doing to ensure that they're continuing to create content and build a, build a meaningful voice for clients during these crazy times to ensure that they stand out um, and, and continue to uh, be top of mind for the customers that they're continuing to try to earn attention from. Now, in addition to the Forbes councils and the Business Journal's Leadership Trust, I know you also manage communities for tech brands, for a number of organizations that are looking to leverage communities for customer success or as part of their content marketing strategy. How many uh, communities are you guys managing right now? We're managing several dozen communities, um, again, mostly media partner driven, um, you know, communities that are hyper local focused, industry focused. Uh, focused on uh, people in specific positions. So we run communities for uh, CTOs and other chief technology types of titles. We run communities for people in CMO type roles and other chief marketing related titles. And, and, the, and the communities and the structures vary. But yes, you know, we're, we're doing it both with media partners and also brands that are looking to build a sense of community. There's a sort of like a buzz saying that's starting to evolve right now that is sort of uh, developed throughout the COVID era, era, maybe a little bit prior to that. Um, but but the, the idea is that brands are starting to see community as the moat that keeps co- clients and important stakeholders invested in your brands and continuing to come back. 
Um, and this is something that I think a lot of brands have seen to be very powerful as, you know, the, the markets continue to be saturated and we, we see, you know, economic decline because of things like COVID. These are the activities that are going to separate the winners from the losers in terms of who survives and who thrives through all of this. Are, are there basic elements of an online community that are consistent or do they always vary from brand to brand? So in I, other words, yeah. could you, could you swap out the content, right? And pretty much keep the features consistent uh, on a, on a uh, community for, for any brand? No, I don't think you can. I think there are fundamentals and there are obviously platforms and tool sets that we're all using to connect. Um, but the fact is all communities are different and yes, some might be the same, but what we found through our community building efforts over uh, a decade long of doing this is that, you know, every, every community is a little bit different. If you don't do your market research, if you don't listen to your customers, if you think you can just sort of like set up a community factory that's going to churn out the same old product for various different industries and, and, and market types, you're going to fail uh, because our needs, while all are kind of the same in terms of wanting connection and, and looking for more ability to find the right resources, how we deliver that message and, and, and also the, the mechanisms we use, the platforms we use are, are going to be different depending on who you're trying to talk to a busy chief executive of a fortune 500 is going to have a, a, a different style and, and different collective of behaviors than, you know, an early stage startup entrepreneur who's spending a lot of time just networking their face off. And if you don't think about those various use cases um, and just think that it's a one size fits all type of experiment, it's not going to work out for you. If you think about the difference between a free community and a paid community, what does it take? Mm-hmm. What do you have to provide if it's a paid community that you don't have to provide in a free community? I, I mean, I know a lot of communities that will continue to just be hobbies, even though their you know their founders would like them to turn into businesses that support their families. And that's the tricky thing about community businesses. It's not easy. This is one of the toughest types of businesses to run. It's one of the toughest types of endeavors to venture out on and do um, if you're a brand or an individual trying to build something on their own. Um, you know, I think what separates uh, whether or not someone's willing to pay for it is whether or not they see you know, true value in, in what you're, you're creating and whether or not you're truly curating something special for them. You know, with our communities, we have a lot of um, really specific high value offerings and benefits that we provide that, you know, people would expect to have a price tag attached to. And I think that that helps us, obviously. But I think also what separates a community that's free from a community that can charge money is also just, you know, whether or not you're willing to own that. Right. And to put a price tag on what you're providing, just the simple act of of putting a price on community and and not being bashful about it shows the world that there's value there that they're missing. And I think that um, right now, more than ever, if you're willing to do that and do that right and invest in sales and invest in marketing and invest in 
um, really just being gritty and going out there and, and being willing to, uh, without any sense of bashfulness, sell community, which is like selling air to some people, you'll be surprised that you can win that game. Um, community right now is something that people are willing to pay for if you do it right. If you curate the right resources, if you curate the right people, um, you'll be surprised at how many individuals are willing to take that leap because we are all oversaturated and looking for something special beyond what's available for us in this free world, right? Is there, is there a value model that you kind of work with that you can apply to pretty much any community scenario to help a salesperson uh, sell the value to a, a potential uh, member? I think it, I think it depends on the community. It depends on the audience, you know, what, what you can sell to again, like a, a startup entrepreneur at a thousand dollars a pop, you might be able to sell to a chief executive for $10,000. It depends on what you're offering and also, also who your audience is. Right. So it's, it's not really something that is easy to just build a matrix on and go out and sell depends on what your benefits are and, and, and what your offering is and, and who you're going out to sell to. Um, but, but yes, over time it can be, it can be matrixed and you can build a, a sales set of sales tools similar to how you would sell any other product, but it takes time and there's no one size fits all. Well, this audience is public relations mm-hmm. and you know, what actually got me interested in uh, asking you to do this interview in the first place was the fact that, you know, Forbes.com, if you're a member of the council, you have publishing rights on Forbes. So talk to us about that privilege, how it works, what you can do, what you can't do. Sure. So, you know, we, um, through our partnership with Forbes, uh, allow our members to publish thought leadership content through a council channel that we've created. Um, All content goes through our in-house editorial team. We invest a lot into editorial. Uh, We have editors that work hand in hand with our members to make sure that the content that they're drafting and taking through our cycle meets all the the, uh, guidelines and checks all the boxes, nothing promotional, no, uh, no selling of links, no, nothing that would be deemed to be uh, not above board in the eyes of uh, a, a news entity or media company that needs to abide by certain standards in order to make sure that they're credible and ethical in their world. Um, and once that process has ended and it goes through several rounds of editorial, both to meet those guidelines and also to ensure that we are doing our best to help our members um, develop a, a strong voice and a readable piece of content. Because again, you know, a lot of our members aren't, you know, writers by trade, but have great ideas and great experience. Once we go through all those sets of processes that help our members look their best in their final product, we will publish on Forbes and allow them to share that content, utilize it for uh, their social media, utilize it for sharing with customers, use it it for sharing uh, with potential customers on their websites and so on and so forth to really build that sense of credibility around you and your brand. Now, it is identified as advertorial or as advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it falls within, you know, native content styles of, of, of publishing. So, you know, because of the fact that it is a paid for program, uh, it will fall under that, you know, side of the house. It's not purely editorial. You're not becoming a contributor or a reporter. You're, you're sharing your thought leadership through a channel that we've created alongside all of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, how often can you 
if you if you're adhering to the the, the publishing guidelines and creating quality content, how often could a member publish? You know, it it, it all uh, depends on how good the content is when we get it. You know, average publishing time can take three to five weeks. Um, once that content's published, you can submit another article, go through the process again. So you can kind of reverse engineer like the, the frequency in which you can publish based on that. So it's about three to five weeks to, to move an article onto uh, right. uh, Forbes.com through the Forbes Correct. Council. And yep. then, you know, you would submit after you had done that. So really, theoretically, you could probably move 10 times a year if you're really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, if you're a power user, you, you could absolutely do that. We have members that publish several times a year and, and will keep returning year after year and, and renewing because they see the value in just having, you know, several carefully curated pieces of content that they've created that they can then leverage to, to you know, amplify their brand and showcase their expertise. And that's that's exactly enough to keep them excited and happy with the membership. Totally now, depends. Because, you know, it's a sub communities are a subscription business. Obviously you don't want to sign someone up and lose them. You want to keep them for the long haul. Yep. So is there a consistent value model that you use to keep members engaged and circumvent churn? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on what the, uh, you know, the, the model of the community member is coming in. Some people join more for visibility. Some people join more for connections, depending on what we know about the member, which starts on the initial sales call, understanding where they see the most value, there'll be specific paths that we take them and specific modelings for how we engage that member year over year. And that all ties back to uh, internal platforms that we've built to, um, manage and, and, and oversee our member population to know what activities they've completed and, and more importantly than that, what things they haven't completed that will then help us measure uh, their performance and know who is more in the green, meaning they are in good shape, they're doing everything they need and are highly likely to renew and who's in the red and, and potentially in need of a little bit more TLC to ensure that we can move them into a more green state where we feel like they're going to be happy and, and very likely to renew. Are there, are there online professional communities out there beyond yours that you don't manage that you think are really doing a great job? Mm. I mean, one of my favorite communities, to be completely honest, is the Community for Community Builders, and, and that's run by a friend of mine named David Spinks. Uh, CMX is the name of the community. They recently got acquired by an um, online events-based community product called Bevy. And they just run some fantastic events, both online and offline, connecting community builders, community managers, and also, you know, heads of marketing looking to understand community, be uh, community better uh, in, in the common ground, virtual events, online forums, uh, offline events when we are allowed to meet offline, and just a wealth of really quality content, uh, research, and, and, and white papers and other materials that are going to help you learn um, from the best of the best in community building as you're applying your community strategies in your own brand. What about HubSpot? How, how do you think they're doing? I mean, HubSpot's a great platform, you know, and I think they've built some really good um, community offshoots to help their clients connect, to help uh, marketers connect. I used to live in Boston and, and inbound is just one heck of a good time whenever they threw that event. Uh, we always do um, a lot of content around inbound for our own business because they bring together just some really quality people. Um, I think they've 
they've done a lot. So if you're a brand similar to inbound or not so similar to inbound or not so similar to HubSpot, correct me if I'm there. I, uh, I think that that's a great brand to look at for examples of what it's like to build community around your products. They've done some fantastic stuff. They've got great forums. They've got great resources. They're constantly delivering great free market research and, and, um, case studies to their community that you can use to leverage and, and build um, into your own brand community strategy. What about click funnels? You, you, you watch them at all, see what they're doing. I mean, you know, in addition to having the SaaS platform and the books, he also has the, the annual event mm-hmm. where he celebrates uh, most successful users of his mm-hmm. service. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I know you know I know of their success. I'm not involved in, in Quick ClickFunnels in any way. I I am you know somewhat involved in the HubSpot world and and have uh, been for some time. So I can't can't speak to their products. Can't speak to their conferences. What I can speak to is that you know building programs that reward your customers and, and put them um, you know on stage is a a valuable and, and very tried and tested way to build strong community, making people feel a part of your brand and feel connected and rewarding them for their efforts in helping build that sense of community is, is something that is a really good, a really good tactic and strategy to use to help build uh, a sense of camaraderie and start creating zealots within your community that are going to help kind of power that brand for you as the community develops, if that makes sense. I was listening to uh, the uh, Amy Porterfield's uh, podcast. She does a podcast about marketing and she had been promoting um, a program from a guy named Stu McLaren uh, who has like uh, a, a, a course to help people build their own membership communities, Mm -hmm. smaller, you know, entrepreneurial individuals who have some sort of expertise. And in these cases, you know, they're selling a paid community and really the, paid community is the product. There's no other product where they're making their money off, but then they have the community to promote customer success or Mm -hmm. circumvent churn. When you Mm -hmm. think about the difference between a community that's allied with a product or service that's generating revenue and a community that is a revenue generator itself, what are the differences that you would need to have in those different types of communities to make them successful? I don't, I don't, I don't think that uh, it's a very black and white, you know, answer, to be honest. I think it just depends on what you're trying to achieve for, for a brand to build a community, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to create a a, a sense of loyalty that is attached to, to a larger product and, and your usage of that product. Sure. But you're, you're doing that through helping them achieve a need that in some cases isn't even going to be tied to that product, right? So, you know, your, your efforts in bringing people together to solve, you know, marketing challenges, if you're HubSpot, um, can be enough to keep them connected to your brand and, and using your, your product in your core business because you're, you're investing in keeping them engaged with you. I mean, the, in, in building an association and, and a professional organization, which is more kind of up our alley, um, we're trying to build affinity as well. And the affinity is to our products and tools uh, and our affinity is to the the brand partner that we work with. Um, You know, I I don't think that they're that different. In fact, I think there are cases in which brand focused communities like a HubSpot 
could charge someone for access to a premium community and not just have it be a free part of the service. You know, if you can connect people with a curated group, say, you know, CMOs of Fortune 5000 businesses as part of, you know, an add-on for using HubSpot for your, uh, for your business, that's something that I think people would spend money on. Don't you think? Yeah, good point. Hey, uh, Jolene, I want to bring you on and let you ask your question yourself. So um, uh, go ahead and ask, would you? Sure. So we always tee up um, for the Forbes Council and the opportunity to be a columnist or a, a contributor to the site. I, I think the term you used was was content provider, actually, versus columnist. But mm-hmm. for for columnists that come to us and say, you know, I have this platform on Forbes. It's great. Could you host us at our, at your property, specifically in the travel space or a destination experience? And then we go to our clients with this opportunity and we're trying to kind of quantify the value of this versus how many eyes are going to see it. Like anyone Mm -hmm. does in PR, you're always trying to put a metric to that, to that value. So I'm wondering what, what is that look like? Cause, because you're really putting the onus on that member to share that content out via their social channels or email marketing. So advice on how to kind of merchandise that to our clients and the value. Yeah. I I mean, you're in a hard spot, right? You know, I think that PR in general is hard to quantify. It doesn't matter if you get them a piece of press on, you know, a mainstream media outlet that's more um, uh, promotional about them or, or you're helping them build content through more of a thought leadership platform like ours there's no guarantees of, of specific traffic numbers that your product's going to be sold more. I mean, as it relates to, to Forbes Council specifically, you know, we, we would discourage you from trying to oversell them on the idea that you're going to get tons of traffic and your, your, your product sales are going to go way up. What we're providing is more of a vehicle to create thought leadership. And, and I think that when we think about marketing strategy for our own business, we think about sources and marketing strategies that are going to send traffic. Yes. And we think about um, ad campaigns and we have media buyers that are doing a lot of work for us, but we're also really thinking about what is there when people come to that destination and what can we showcase that builds authority and builds credence for who we are in a very noisy space. So I would recommend thinking about that content as more of um, brand maintenance and reputation management versus like specific sources of, uh, of traffic for, for your clients. That might not help you, but that's the way we position it. And that's the way we encourage people to position it because anything other than that would just be misleading and, and, and we can't promise traffic. We can't promise SEO. Uh, that's not what we do. Got it. No, that is helpful. Thank you. Do you want to ask a follow-up or are you good? I'm good. Okay, cool. great. Thanks, Jolene. Um, so, you know, there's so many um, uh, professional memberships out there, uh, communities, organizations, trade associations, membership communities that predate the internet. Um, and many of them are really struggling to catch up with the digital world. And so you see sort of these other organizations, newer organizations swoop in and absorb their membership. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, from a business standpoint, when you look at that environment, do you see a lot of opportunity? Yeah. I mean, look, there's, there is a number of competitive 
communities out there for any tried and true professional association that's been around for decades, um, both free and, and paid for. You know, the, the idea of creating a community and an association of people became free for everyone to do in the social media era. So there's a number of, uh, of, of pain points there for, you know, these tried and true organizations to overcome. But I would, I would kind of counter that with, you know, something that I think is really important to remember. You know, these tried and true organizations have learned a lot. In fact, some of the organizations that I admire the most are, are ones that have been around for, for decades. The YPOs of the world, for example, are just fantastic groups and they're still thriving and they still have high retention rates um, because they've invested in something core that transcends platform and is more about the true product that community is, the people that you're surrounding, you know, your other members with. So I think, you know, I would encourage companies like this, organizations that are struggling with with retention to in some part stay true to themselves and to not give up their ethos uh, for a quick turnaround and churn, um, but to also make small calculated investments into uh, technologies and, and marketing solutions that are a little bit beyond what they're used to and take baby steps and, and, and be wary of not being pushed too hard in one direction, because there are plenty of, you know, again, hucksters out there that'll tell you that you need to make X, Y, and Z investment just to find out that you've wasted a lot of money. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of professional associations that have been around for many, many, many years continue to thrive and continue to hold on to their um, their customer base uh, and continue to find ways to to build into that youth market so they sustain as some of their more um, you know core members start to retire it 's just a matter of making some smart investments and and getting into that step by step versus just jumping in full force. I think that 's a mistake and where a lot of them go wrong and end up floundering in the long run. Does that make sense? I, uh, you're on mute there, Eric. You got to take yourself off mute. Sure. I'm going to invite you to, um, to ask your question. Go ahead. Oh, thank you, Eric. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you honored to have you. This is such rich information. Thank you for that. Uh, so Ryan for the Forbes council content, how important or not is it to offer content that's based on research? I was just typing an answer to you. I didn't realize okay. that you were the same person. Um, hi, Cheryl. Um, yeah, so um, not important at all. I think, you know, if you do want to um, integrate research, you should actually talk to the editors that you're working with on our team before you incorporate that in because there could be certain conflicts with, you know, just our, our ethical and moral code for how we need to um, make sure that content checks all the boxes, so to speak, to, to be uh, able to, to go on our channels. Um, you know, we feature more than not thought leadership, right? So, so talking to your clients or yourself, for that matter, um, about what their expertise truly is and how they want to position themselves and, and through that positioning also position their companies is a, is a much better, more 
fluid route to get published through Forbes councils. I would, I would focus more on, on your uh, tried and true advice or the tried and true advice of, of your clients. And if research can support that, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that'll be left up to the editor's discretion that you're working with to decide whether or not um, it can be incorporated in the story. There are a lot of rules. Um, we are, are very protective of the brand as we should be. Um, and you just have to sort of make sure that that's part of the communication. And we pair um, our members every time with an editor where you're going to have the opportunity to have those conversations and make sure that before you put a lot of work into an article, that you can have that conversation and know what works and know what doesn't in the particular article you're trying to put out there. Does that help? That helps a great deal. I have a, just a follow-up. Is that mm-hmm. okay, Eric? Please, yes. So, so Ryan, since um, thought leadership, of course, has um, every executive, including myself, has a point of view. Um, so it sounds like that is pretty safe territory to start. It is. You know, we have certain certain boxes that we try to check, certain things that are, are not um, – what we would consider to be appropriate for our channel. Certainly when you get into some things like religious views, politics, these are things that we just, they're, they're just no nos for Forbes councils. And that's just part of, again, our, um, you know, our box in which we live in. Um, but, but yeah, you know, your opinions matter, your voice matters. We want you to, to be able to share your expertise with the greater community in which you live in within the, the curated side of what each Forbes council is and also the bigger community that is the audience that we're giving you access to. If you are going to kind of tread down anything that feels like maybe you should ask, or maybe you feel like, Oh, I wonder if this is okay. Just err on the side of caution and ask, right? Don't, don't put pen to paper and do hard work and, 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 you know, put your heart and soul into something until you've made sure that it's kosher and it's going to work for, um, for the particular avenue that we have available for you to publish. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. For, um, for clients that are hiring you to manage their uh, online community, uh, what sort of KPIs are they looking at to see if it's helping them? Sales and retention, right? I mean, they're, they're businesses, you just like any other, and those are the core metrics. Uh, they also care about just the affinity, how happy the members are within the group, right? Because we are an extension of their brand. So it's important that the experience that we're creating adds something special that makes them feel a higher affinity to, to their brand, to their bigger business. We are just a part of that. So um, it's it's certainly the kind of thing where we have partners we work with that want to be more involved and we have partners that are a little bit more hands-off. Um, but those are the key KPIs that they care about either way. Um, and, and we make sure that we, we meet those, those criteria for them through the work that we do. And for those uh, clients that are a little tougher nuts to crack and are looking to sort of attribute that um, customer satisfaction to the community itself, I mean, what sort of metrics, what are they looking at from you to try to get the, follow the path back to the value that the community is providing? Sorry, can you can you ask that again? Because I'm talking to Michael in the uh, in the um, chat here, and, and I feel bad. I'm, well, I'm, I'm about to promote Michael the panelist. I'm promoting Michael to a panelist. Good. Let's let's bring him in. All right, let's bring him in and do do Michael. And then we can we can revert back. Sorry about okay, that. Sounds good. 
Hey, Michael. <laughs> uh, hello, Ryan. Hello, Eric. Uh, I, I have like such bad ADD. I can't do two things at once. <laughs> I, was, I, mean, I was trying to help you in the chat. I, I can't either. <laughs> I think, I think Eric's just, on mute again. <laughs> we muted him, or he's muted himself. Um, okay, well, assuming folks can hear me, here's my question. I can uh, hear you. I have heard that uh, assuming one is not uh, going and has the benefit of working with a firm like yours, that the editors at Forbes look for uh, fairly prolific writers, uh, at least a former Forbes columnist mm-hmm. or not columnist, it's the wrong word because that suggests a staffer, but but a contributor uh, needed to be uh, – you know, able to generate as many as up to five pieces a month, which I thought was Mm -hmm. very daunting. Yeah. Um, Is that a benefit in maybe working with a firm like yours, as opposed to trying to go it alone? Yeah. So, so, so the, you know, what you're referring to is more, you know, being a, a, a contributor to Forbes, which is a much separate program. You know, that's a program by which, you know, you are um, contributing content and getting paid and I can't go into the details of how that works because that's not our realm. Um, but the uh, um, but the the purpose of what we do is more intended to to help people that are not prolific writers necessarily create content and work with an editor that's going to make sure that your content checks all the boxes and also just reads really well, right? You know, I'm not a writer myself, but I work with our own editors in-house whenever I publish something that appears on the different uh, media sites that I write for. You know, you'll have the same opportunity to work with an editor that's going to ensure that we can take your great ideas and your experience, which I'm sure you have, draft it and and take it from something that is, is probably just bare bones and doesn't read very well and transform it into something that's worthy of being published on a mainstream media outlet and, and showcases you and your expertise in a way that you might not be able to, to, to do on your own. So I think, you know, my advice is if you are a part of one of the communities that, that we have created, you know, just submit content. Don't be bashful. Don't put yourself in a position where you feel like it has to be, perfect word for word um, in order to um, in order to meet our specifications. The purpose of our, you know, process, which again can take three to five weeks is that it's going to get touched by editors and, and edited by you. And, and there's going to be feedback. So you're, you're going to get a lot of opportunities to, to refine and, and also learn to be a better writer through this experience right? Like imagine what it would be like to have someone training you and help you think about what you're putting down on paper as you're doing it. You know, our editors are, are trained very well in that. And, and I think more often than not are seen as a value add because you're going to get a great final product and you're going to learn a lot about yourself and how you can become a better writer through the actual exercise of doing it with our team. Does that help? It does a bunch. Thank you. Cool. So, um, you know, Cheryl, who just asked a question, uh, she was uh, uh, formerly uh, the president of the Public Relations Society of America. And that's, you know, the biggest trade association for PR people. And that's, you know, an organization that predates the Internet and has, you know, been doing a lot to get digital, but, you know, maybe hasn't figured it out 100% just yet. So I know you guys have like a JV model where you joint venture communities with like 
the Forbes Council, my understanding is a JV. Yep. And then you also do managed services where you'll come yep. in and just sort of turn key it for an organization. Yep. So like if an, if an organization like PRSA was to come to you and say, hey, we need help, we need to build an online community, how would you, how would a product like, how would a project like that go? What would it cost? Yeah. Uh, what would the rollout be? Costs vary. So it's hard to talk about that. But I would say, you know, it would start with, with a couple phone calls. If, if we felt that the, there was an organization that we can help of a particular size, PRSA is perfect example. Um, we would, we would take some calls, find out where they need help, find out where they feel like they're weak, find out if we feel as if we have solutions and technology on hand that could truly help them. That's mutually beneficial for both us and them to, to go into business together. And if there was, we would, we would schedule some meetings and, and dive in further to talk about what that modeling would look like, what benefits we would provide, um, what we can offer to, to continue to help them build upon the great traditions that they've created with their community um, and, and also provide some ideas for maybe some new revenue opportunities we can bring to the table. Um, it's, it's very hands-on. We don't work with a lot of people. You know, our, our, uh, our client roster is not huge. Our, our, our idea is to work with, you know, less than, than more to provide really great value. And, and the partnerships that we've created have been very much hand selected because they're only people that we truly believe that we can provide a lot of value to. Um, organizations the size of the PRSA are, are a prime example of the kind of target market that we look at in order to make investments into things that we think we can really, you know, knock out of the park. Is, are, do you think online communities are, are kind of the future of customer service and customer success? I think they're definitely a big part of it. I don't think that we can ignore the value of just, you know, traditional tried and true customer support with great platforms built on top of it. You know, we, we all know that things like live chat, AI, more real-time communication, more concierge level service is all important and, and things that customer service is moving towards in order to provide a more high touch experience for a more on-demand society and community can definitely fit into that. Um, I think that, you know, creating forums and, and opportunities for your members to help each other or your customers to help each other alongside those customer service efforts is just a, a valuable way to scale up and, and build a sense of uh, um, a sense of connection with a brand. So yes, you know, there are definitely a lot of use cases for community intersecting with customer service. Do I think it replaces it entirely? No, but they're definitely married and, and they can support one another and help rise all tides in the organization. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how uh, a community can play into an organization's content strategy. Sure. I mean, look, like um, one of the biggest things that we do through our community model is um, create quality um, thought leadership content with our members. Imagine a brand that is looking for thought leadership content and, and a, a more robust content strategy that can leverage people that want to be associated with their brand and want to be uh, elevated and, and, and invited to some sort of curated network who have now the ability through said network to offer thought leadership that you can edit and publish through all of your various sites. You know, I think about big brands and the 
the amplification that they have and the ability that they have to create community because they have these high domain authority sites that could really just leverage people in their network um, that they want to surround themselves with to create a robust, robust custom content strategy. You know, maybe, maybe think about putting the, the freelancers to the side and, and, and build a strategy around how your, your customers and your community can build that content for you because they want their voices shared. And again, if you have a very reputable brand with high domain authority that you can put them on, then associate them with, I think that's a win all around. You know, I have a, tr- a tremendous amount of respect for what you do because I'm an ideas guy. I'm not an ops guy. I struggle with ops, you know. I, I, I can put the process together, but I'm not really good at managing it, you know. So so you're JVing these communities. And uh, when you JV the community, you sell the memberships. So what does it take to sort of figure out who your audience is and nail the pitch? Is there a process for that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we have really smart, we have a really smart member acquisition team, really smart salespeople, really smart marketing people that spend a lot of time on this for every brand that we work with. Um, No brand gets launched without an incredible amount of thought and process driven discussion around how we're going to engage these individuals. Um, You know, we're not, we're not a small operation. Um, We are, you know, very human centric you know, powered by technology, but very human centric. You know, we talk to every single member before they become a member. There is no click and buy opportunity on our website to just join up. You know, you go through a process of talking to someone on our team. You go through a vetting process. You fill out an application. That application gets reviewed by more than one individual on our team. And then if you meet all the criteria, we then invite you to activate a membership and and provide us with all the information that we need in order to uh, provide you with a great service. I mean, it's not like just, you know, setting up uh, your average e-commerce site. It's like more like joining a match.com. Like there are steps. And if you don't take those steps and, and go through the process correctly, nobody's going to win. We're not going to win at making you a happy customer. Uh, you're not going to win because you're not going to get the value that you're looking for out of the membership. I mean, there's an investment here and, and we spend a lot of time from the initial sales call all the way through uh, each year of a member's renewal cycle to ensure that that experience is met and that we have happy returning clients. So, you know, not everyone listens to this live. Uh, It's also distributed via podcast uh, on iTunes and Spotify. So if uh, someone's listening and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, very findable online. I'm on LinkedIn these days a lot. That's really, you know, where I've, I've kind of honed in on having conversations with peers and anyone who's curious about community building. So finding me on LinkedIn is a really good uh, way to start. Um, I'm on Twitter occasionally. You can find me there um, and, and just, you know, feel free to reach out. You know, one of the coolest things about being a community builder is getting to geek out on other people's community ideas for a minute. It helps kind of refresh the mind and make my work more exciting when I get to look at someone else's for a bit. So don't be shy. I'm, I'm always curious, always trying to find ways to help others. Um, if you haven't had a, a chance yet to get access to my free uh, SEO for PR, basics of SEO for PR class, you can still do that at ericschwartzman.com forward slash SEO class. Uh, special thanks to Flux 
Branding, uh, a world-renowned resource for defining your visual brand. Flux Branding is a group of creative visionaries and graphic designers dedicated to helping clients build brand identities. And you can visit them at ericschwartzman.com forward slash Flux Branding and Digital Dragon, where children can develop the skills they need to prosper in the age of machines. Digital Dragon teaches digital literacy to tomorrow's programmers. More information at ericschwartzman.com forward slash DD. Uh, next week, we've got our, our, our panel. I'm really excited about it. Uh, the subject is putting Hollywood back to work. And we've got Eric Deutsch of Excel PR. He uh, represents the Los Angeles Film Commission. We have Winter Mitchell Rohrblah. She is a uh, uber recorded music PR person. And then we have Alfred Hopton, who Sally knows, uh, because he was uh, one of our colleagues at Rogers and Cowan, and he has been doing television PR. So we have film, music, and TV represented, and we're going to be having a discussion about putting Hollywood back to work. So definitely join us for that. Um, if you're watching this on Periscope, on Facebook Live, or on YouTube Live, uh, remember, if you want to ask questions, uh, just go to PRTechWednesdays.com, sign up. You'll get updates for each uh, weekly guest. And uh, if you miss the event, you'll get a link to the replay. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, help us grow our community by leaving a review or subscribing. Uh, if you want bonus content, you know, often I'll uh, write up blog posts summarizing the tech stacks that people recommend or the tools that people recommend on the show. And you can get that um, at ericschwartzman.com forward slash blog. Uh, this has been Eric Schwartzman. I will see you on the next PR Tech Wednesday.